Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're back there again this week, Ephesians chapter 4. Tim covered the ending of the passage two weeks ago, and then last week I kind of started back from the beginning, and then we're going to kind of meet in the middle uh, this week. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 today, 11 through 16. Hear God's word for you, his church, this morning. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light into our path. So we pray by it this morning that you would teach us, that you would equip us, that you would challenge and change us. Would your son be our teacher this morning, we pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you remember the first time you ever held an iPhone or any smartphone for that matter. So I might age myself a little bit or make myself younger than you guys think I am. So I was 12 years old when the iPhone came out in 2007. And I remember this moment where I held an iPhone for the first time and I was absolutely in awe of this device. And you might think this is funny, but the thing that probably shocked me the most about an iPhone was the fact that it had an iTunes store on the phone. And if you remember back to before iPhone days, uh, you had an iTunes store which sat on your computer and you had to go on the computer, you had to buy all your songs on the computer, then you had to plug in your phone and you had to upload all of the songs or upload all of it onto an iPod and then you could take it and you could walk around and listen to it. Well, the iPhone came out and it had an iTunes store right on the phone which means that you could go on and you could digitally download any song you wanted. You still had to pay for them at this time. But you could download any song you wanted. And then, oh, by the way, your phone could actually be your iPod. You didn't need to have an iPod Nano and a phone. You could have them all in one, right? It was this magical experience for me as a 12-year-old. And some of y'all are chuckling because you remember what it's like way before an iPod even came out. And for some of y'all, it was magical when you sat down in front of a computer for the first time. But I think whether or not you're young or old, we've all had these experiences, haven't we? This moment when we picked up a new device or technology for the first time, and it was almost a magical experience. And what was happening in those moments? Well, when we pick up that new device or we use that new service for the first time, it's this moment where we realize that we have newfound freedom. We have newfound freedom that we've never been able to have before, right? Freedom that overcomes limits, right? No longer are we bound 
to an old way of doing things or an old way of how it always used to be. No longer are we bound by certain locations that we can do things in, right? Technology has always been this thing that's allowed us to overcome limits. See, technology actually has been one of the foremost examples of the human quest for freedom, freedom without limits. And it's actually funny because technology is not the only thing that tells us of this human quest, right? If you watch any movie, you'll see this theme time and time again, right? Of breaking free from constraints, breaking free and overcoming limits and achieving the ability to be whoever you want to be, right? Freedom without limits, Maybe a more recent example, perhaps you volunteered at Vacation Bible School last week and you had to discipline a child and you had to tell them no. And my thought is, is probably what they wanted was freedom without limits, right? They didn't want to be told what to do. You see, in Western culture, when we talk about freedom, freedom oftentimes connotes the idea of no limitations, Freedom is the ability to do what we want, when we want it, how we want to. We can say whatever we want to say. We can be whoever we want to be. We can have whatever we want to have. And we live in a culture that actually supports that, don't we, right? Technology brings the world closer. Our government allows us to have what we want, when we want it. See, there's never been a time in human history where we've had the world quite at our fingertips and the ability to overcome limits and have every desire met quite like we do today. And yet we come to scripture this morning, and what we find is that definition of freedom is not the definition of freedom that we find in the Bible, is it? Right? Freedom in the Bible, and the Bible will talk a lot about freedom, but the Bible never talks about freedom as no limitations. In fact, the Bible defines freedom not as the lack of any and all constraints on you, but rather Freedom is brought about by choosing the right constraints. And freedom in biblical teaching has often been combined with this old cardinal virtue called temperance. Uh, And if temperance is a new word for you, it's just a big word that means moderation or restraint. It means that while we might have appetites and we can continually consume and we want to achieve and fill those appetites, we make the conscious choice to restrain ourselves. And so actually in the Bible, when we talk about freedom, it's not talking about freedom without any limits at all. But rather, freedom comes about when we choose the proper restraints. And so this morning, as we turn to Ephesians 4 again, what we see is that Paul is going about and he's outlining the purpose of the church. And what I hope you notice in that one sense throughout this passage is Paul is writing about the church, is that God designed it in one sense to be a restraint on you. It restrains you from having absolute autonomy. And culture oftentimes turns its nose up at that. It doesn't like the sound of something that restrains, but what I want us to see this morning is that the church acting as a restraint on us is actually a good thing. Because as Paul is outlining the constraints that the church puts on us, he actually reveals gifts that God has given us. Because the church is a restraint on us, it actually allows us to receive gifts. And these gifts are what allow us to be truly free and to live lives the way God intended it. So that's what I want to explore with you this morning. How does God's design of the church, the built-in restraints that he has put on us when we are part of the body of Christ, 
actually allow us to live in complete freedom. So I want to take a look at that. And what we're going to see is that there are three gifts that these restraints allow us to see. Three gifts. And uh, the first one is the gift of team. The gift of team. So if you go back to the passage and you look at verse 11 and 12, what you'll see is Paul is beginning by noting that the church has been given various roles and responsibilities, right? There's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And each of these specific roles have been given for a purpose. If you look at verse 12, right, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And so there's this kind of flow to Paul's thought. There are some are prophets, Some are evangelists, some are teachers, some are shepherds, on and on it goes. And they all use their giftings to equip other saints to do the work of ministry in their community. And what I hope you notice is in the context of this passage, as you read it, right, it always speaks in a plural. It always speaks in a plural, right? There are multiple prophets. There are multiple teachers, and on and on it goes. The verb equip is actually in a plural tense, talking about all of us, right? There's not just one who's equipping, but there are multiple people who are engaging this task. And I want you to ask, well, what's important about that? And what Paul is showing us is that one person can't do the whole job alone, right? God has designed it in such a way that there are different roles and different gifts, different talents and skills that each person has that's different from everyone else. And while we're working towards a common goal of maturity, each of us have a different part to play. And so as we think about this first restraint on us, the natural design of the church, the way God set it up, the first restraint is that you can't be the church by yourself. You by necessity need each other. You need plurality and leadership. You need plurality and community. And not only that, but you have a specific role to play within that community, right? You have something I need. I have something you need. And that leads us to the gift of team, the gift of team, right? God designed the church not to be all about me, but about a community of believers moving in common cause together. And I think as we think about that, we know that on some level, rustling around a little bit, I think we know that on some level, but oftentimes think we also forget it. Because in a freedom without limits culture, we oftentimes don't want the limitation of responsibility. We don't want the limitation of responsibility, right? Society is moving more and more in a direction where it is all about me. And anything that puts demands on me, puts demands on my time, it needs to be beneficial to me or else I can drop it. I can forget about it, right? I have no obligations except for the ones that I'm willing to put on myself and when I choose them for myself, right? That is freedom without the limit of responsibility. We good? You don't know? All right, well, we're just gonna, just gonna fight through it, right? But God designed the church in such a way that it can't function It can't function unless you use your gifts. To give you the ultimate example, I want you to look around this room for a second. I want you to look around this room for a second. And then I want you to imagine the same kind of room an hour from now in the sanctuary. Right? We are in no way a small church. 
We are in no way a small church. We are a growing church. And yet, we actually have a relatively small staff. If you think about it, we only have six people on staff currently. So there are a lot of holes and a lot of places that staff don't touch throughout the week. And so how does this place function when you have a big church but a small staff? Well, a lot of people have to jump in and use their gifts to make this place work, to make this place run, right? People jump in and they serve. They get on committees. They serve in the back. They serve on Sundays. They serve through the week in programs, right? All of this happens not because you have a really good staff that's been hired out, but because people are needed, and they jump in and they use their gifts together, right? Not because a few are burdened with the responsibility of many. And so the first gift of the constraints of the church is that we're actually a team, right? There's unity within the diverse giftings of the church, right? It isn't up to one person. And so my question for you, is that how you view the church? Or potentially do you view it the other way? where the church is kind of this freedom without limits kind of place? Are you in a place where you feel like you can show up to worship every so often? You can watch the live stream maybe when you're not here, but you don't have to commit and you don't have to burden yourself with responsibility for it. Because this, friends, is a place where you are called to invest your gift, not because you have to, but because you're needed. Because that's what God calls you to. That's how God set it up. And so if you allow this restraint upon you, no, it doesn't mean that you have ultimate freedom with your Sunday. It's not for you. But the gift is that you receive community. You receive fellowship. You receive love as we move in common cause. And each member of the body does its part, right? The constraint of the church, it's not all about you, leads way to the gift of team, that we're all in it together. So that's the first gift that we see, uh, the gift of team. The second one is the gift of guidance. And Paul continues on in verse 13 and 14 in this passage, and he begins to start explaining uh, what the purpose of the church is. What's its goal? Uh, what's the aim of the church, you might be able to say? And Paul writes this, to achieve the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to achieve mature manhood and the measure of the stature of of Christ. And so Paul says the purpose of the church is to grow and look more and more like Jesus. But he also goes on, and I hope you caught this. Paul begins to describe the alternative. What happens if the church is not doing its part? If you go down to verse 14, Paul says that we remain children, tossed to and fro by every wave of human doctrine and scheme. And so without the constraints of the church, without the restraint of the church on us, what Paul says is that we're unstable, that we have no reference point. We have no pathway to maturity. And what Paul is getting at here is the second gift that comes on with putting on the restraint of the church, right? When we put on the restraints of the church, what do we receive? We receive the gift of guidance. And I think this is one of those things that oftentimes we're criticized for, and falls on deaf ears in our culture, specifically with newer, younger generations. Because as we think about freedom and how freedom is defined in our society, it's oftentimes being sold today as the ability to choose your own path, to write your own story, right? You don't need to follow the example of the past, but you need to follow your inner true self, and you need to pioneer 
your own way, right? Culture argues that we ought to have freedom without the limitations of the past. I remember when I was getting started uh, in ministry, and just to show you why what I just said is a problem. I remember when I was getting started in ministry, and we did camp out at this brand new property that we hadn't ever been to before. And while we were out there, uh, the kind of the camp director gave us the permission and the absolute freedom to build a disc golf course out on some land right behind uh, the camp property for us to use when we were up there. So we had absolute freedom to put the tees where we wanted, to put the greens where we want them. I mean, literally, we could do whatever we wanted to to this land. And we were so, so excited. And so we set out there, and we start building this golf course, and we're trying to figure it out. And what we found out very quickly uh, is that actually absolute freedom can become a burden become a burden. And why is that? Well, we found out throughout building this golf course that we would constantly second-guess ourselves. At one point, we would build a hole, and we'd think it was a really good hole, but then we would build this other hole, and we're like, actually, this kind of gets in the way of this hole, so we, we kind of need to start back over and retry again. And then we would get about halfway done, and we're like, actually, we just had a way better idea, and this will be a lot better. So we would scrap it all, and we would restart again. And by the end of the day, we had absolutely no progress. Even though we had absolute freedom, we had absolutely no progress because at no point could we decide that what we had was actually good. At no point did we know what was good. And so we would reconsider, we would second guess, we would move from one idea to another because we could never settle on anything. And that, friends, is the issue of absolute freedom in our culture. Absolute freedom with no guidance at all leaves us constantly trying to determine what is actually good. See, we may not be hindered from anything with absolute freedom, but we're also not guided towards anything either. Right? We become like Paul said, tossed to and fro from this value to that idea. Right? We're never stable because we have no guidance as to what is actually good, true, and beautiful. And so that's the beauty of the church's constraints, is that it doesn't give us absolute freedom to live any story that we want, but it gives us freedom to live the right story, the story that we actually know the ending of. You see, God designed the church to point us to a target, to remind us of our purpose, that life fulfilled, that life as it was meant to be is found in Christ. See, that's what we were created for. That's what we were designed for. And when we live within the guardrails, when we live within the guidance that the church gives us as it points us to Jesus, the body of Christ reminds us of our place in God's kingdom, right? That's when we actually experience freedom. We know where we're going. We know what's good and true and beautiful, right? The church can be a place of guidance where when we're in worship, when we're in life group, when we're in discipleship, Right? The means of grace, when we see a baptism or we take communion together, we are reminded yet again of the right story, and we are reminded of what is actually good and true and beautiful. So yes, the church restrains you. It doesn't let you just live any story you want, but it also gives you the gift that it tells you the right story again and again and again, the one that will lead to true life. So the gift of team, uh, the gift of guidance, and then finally, the gift of discipline, the gift of discipline. So 
we've seen how the church puts restraints on us, right? It doesn't allow us to be about ourselves only. It doesn't allow us to just wander any direction we want to go. But in doing so, it gives us two gifts, right? The gift of team and the gift of guidance. And so Paul closes out this section with a command. It's a very famous command. You've probably heard this many times. Speak the truth in love, right? As members of the body of Christ, we are called to tell each other the truth in the posture of loving our neighbor. And culturally, this also flies against the wisdom of the day, doesn't it? Because what we've been hearing in society is that truth and love are actually mutually exclusive to each other, right? Telling someone the truth can't possibly be loving, right? What's loving someone? Well, loving someone in society is allowing them the gift to be whoever they want to be, right? It's allowing them the gift of having their own truth. And so when you're telling the truth to somebody, it's seen as overly critical, manipulative, and also dangerous, right? So society wants freedom without limits. It wants freedom without the limit of accountability. And yet Paul has a different view of freedom here, doesn't he? Right? The pathway to true freedom comes through truth and love, not one or the other, right? Putting on the restraints of the church gives us a third gift, and that's the gift of discipline, uh, Tim Keller, uh, he's a pastor, a former pastor in New York City. Uh, he's really helpful here. Uh, and he wrote on freedom a lot. And he oftentimes said, love is the reason we know the freedom narrative of today doesn't work. That ironically, even as we see society talking about love winning and love being the gateway to freedom, Tim Keller says the opposite. Love is actually the reason we know that freedom doesn't work or the way that society defines freedom doesn't work. Because he says that true love requires sacrifice. Love in its most potent sense requires loss, right? If you were to love someone, truly love someone, you have to give something of yourself to them, right? Selfishness and love cannot actually coexist. And what is freedom without limits but inherently selfish? Many of y'all realized this when you had your first child, right? Loving your child not only required you to pay attention to them, but it required love, time, money, your priorities all had to change, right? You can't love from a distance, right? Loving someone means you have to give something of yourself to them. And when we talk about speaking the truth in love and culture, right, they think that that means that what we're doing is we're actually criticizing and we're pointing out flaws from this moral high ground, right? It's a power dynamic. But when we're a part of God's people, we're a part of the body of Christ, sharing the truth in love means that we are actually disciplining each other because we are invested in each other, right? We love each other so much and we are so wrapped up in each other's lives that we will speak the truth. We will say hard things, not to create a power dynamic, not to get one over each other, but out of genuine care and love to protect each other and to build each other up. And so being part of the church means that we have a restraint put on us. The people in this room have the right and the responsibility to maybe say hard things to you every now and again. And that's hard because we hate criticism. We hate accountability. But there's a gift in that. And that gift is that discipline we receive true love.
Not love that's superficial, not love that's manipulative, but a love that actually resembles Christ. See, when we think about the love of Christ, what did he do to show it? Christ handed over his freedom. Right? Think about it. Jesus had every ability and all the power in the world to end every shoddy trial that put him on the cross. At any point, he could have stopped the proceedings, and at any point, he could have pulled himself down off of the cross. And yet he didn't, right? He chose not to. He laid down his freedom so that there might be greater freedom, freedom for us. And so as the body of Christ, we live in that example, right? We submit to each other in Christ, right? We say hard things to each other, not because we're trying to get one up on each other, but because we genuinely love each other, because we want each other to live in freedom, And in doing so, what happens when we truly have that mindset of each other, we experience growth. We experience love. We don't experience superficial relationship, right? My joys become yours. Your sorrows might become mine, right? We are intertwined together. And that is what God intended for us. That is what God intended for his church, right? To lay down freedom is not necessarily a bad thing when you pick up a true and everlasting community. I'll close with this. Um, there's this parable about a fish one day who was swimming, swimming in the water. Uh, he, he wanted true freedom. He wanted absolute freedom. And so the first thing he did was he went and swam to the beach and jumped out on the beach because he wanted to walk around on the land. And immediately as he jumped out of the water, what happened? He started flopping around. He couldn't breathe. And so he had to jump right back in the water right away. See, the fish realize what we've been talking about all along. We are only free. We are only truly free if we choose the right constraints. See, the fish is free to swim in the ocean. The fish is free to see the beauties of the ocean floor. But the second that fish tried to do something he wasn't created for, tried to do something that he wasn't created to be, he realizes the freedom runs out. And so friends, this morning, I want to remind you that we were created for God. We were created for the body of Christ, his church. And God designed the church in some sense because he knows us to restrain us, right? He designed it to restrain us because in sin, we oftentimes seek freedom without limits. We want absolute freedom. And yet God knows us. God knows our hearts. And he gave us the gift of church to remind us the direction of true freedom. Freedom found when you have a team of people around you and you're not trying to do it on your own. Freedom found when, not in absolute freedom, but when you know the right way to go, the story that you're living into. And freedom found when you have a community around you who says hard things out of love and not something superficial, who leaves you to your own devices. See, freedom without limits is not actually freedom at all. But when we allow ourselves to submit to the restraints of the body of Christ, to not necessarily chase every desire that we, ha- that we want, what we find is actually there's true freedom, freedom to live the way that God intended us to live. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you know us better than you kn- we know ourselves. And that in some sense, when we come to church, we are a part of this body, uh, that it's not all about us, 
that in some sense this place restrains us, that it reminds us that we are a body of Christ, not just one on our own. Lord, when we come here, we don't live in any story we want, but we're reminded of the true story, the one that actually brings life, and we're called back to the right path. We say hard things to each other here, and Lord, that's hard sometimes, but that's a gift because that means that we have true love, love which builds up and doesn't tear down. So Lord, we pray that we would put on freedom with the right constraints. Lord, that we wouldn't just choose freedom with no limits, but Lord, would we choose you each and every day? Would we choose this place each and every day? Lord, because we know that here there is true freedom found in you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.